morning. Good to have you here with us this morning. The sun's shining in brightly. That's always very, very nice. And so I trust that you've had a good morning. I hope that you come this morning with a heart that is anxious and excited about serving and worshiping our Lord. We also welcome those who join us online. I often forget to say something about that, but I really do appreciate the many who do join us online, our church members unable to come, and then people from all over. I'm always amazed at how many people will communicate that they're watching it, uh, living in different parts of the world. I know that our missionaries, the Thornbirds in Spain, often mention uh, watching us and tuning in, and so it's a great opportunity that we have in ministering through this way. So we are glad that you are here with us today. I do see some faces that I don't recognize. We are glad that you are with us today. I hope I have a chance to meet with you, uh, but we're glad that the Lord has brought you into our midst today. If you would, please take a moment and look at the announcements in your bulletin. There is an announcement there that, or not there, that I do need to uh, give to you today. We're trying to get all of our rooms after 18 months of COVID and rooms collecting different items. We're trying to get 104 ready for a ladies' class. We'll be meeting in there beginning in September. And so we need about uh, 15 men. If uh, the more we have, the less work we have. So if you could meet me in 104, which is just through those doors and across the hallway, uh, I don't think it'll take more than 15 minutes if we have a good turnout. We need to move some stuff from that room to another location in our building. And so if you'll meet me in there uh, following the service, give me about five minutes or so. I'll be in there and give you directions where we would take things. So uh, please meet me in there for that training hour. The classes are listed. You've seen this uh, appear in the church email. But uh, the room assignments, classes are listed there, so I trust that you'll take advantage of that. The women's Bible study, that's going to be starting soon, so make sure, ladies, you look at that if you want to be a part of it. The on-mission meal, because of all that's happening with COVID right now, we would encourage you just to make sure you look at the church email that comes out in the middle of the week. We'll be making a final decision on that as the week goes, but we will communicate whether we uh, end up having this or not. But right now, it's still on. And so the details are listed there in your bulletin. The books are back there. Many of you have taken those. Uh, please take them for yourself. They're free. The book, Gentle and Lowly, on the back table. Uh, they've been given to us. If you know of someone that might benefit from them, we still have over 100 copies of them. Please feel free to share that with someone as well. So they are given to us to help uh, the Christian community. So please make sure you get those passed out if you can. The last um, announcement here is a very important announcement. It's something that we're quite excited about. It's a new mobile app and a new software program that we have purchased and getting used to in our church. It's going to give us a lot more ability to interact with our congregation with prayer requests. Um, many people ask us, what about a church directory? It's going to give us access to be able to do some things like that. Uh, through a mobile app, and so we'll be giving you more details later, uh, but we're quite excited about this, and we'll be uh, rolling this out sometime in the next few weeks, and so please be very much aware of that, and uh, take a moment, and, you know, do the things that you need to to get that taken care of. I was reading this statement this week, and it really 
moved me deeply. And I'd like to share it with you as we take a moment and prepare our hearts for the worship of our great God. A prayer. God, press the truth of your gospel deep into our souls so that we see the work of our triune God. The greatest thing we can ever do for one another is to press the truth of the gospel deep into our soul. Not that we see man, but that we see our great God. Take a moment, think on that, ask God to do that work in your heart. stand if you will I'm reading from Psalm 138 listen carefully about these truths of God that would call us to worship him I give you thanks O Lord with my whole heart before the gods I sing your praise I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and for your faithfulness for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. I love verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For, there, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let us worship our great God. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh praise Him, hallelujah, governing Son with golden beam, how silver with softer
Please be seated. Oh, praise the Lord. What great singing. Thank you so very much for engaging and lifting up your voices unto our great God. Our catechism question today is question 54. We've been working through the Heidelberg Catechism, kind of thinking through the Apostles' Creed. The usage of the term Catholic here isn't referring to what we think of as a, the Catholic Church, but rather the usage of the term in defining the universal church of the larger body of Christ, all those who have been saved. So the question is this, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic or Universal Church? I believe the Son of God, through His Spirit, Father, our hearts are overwhelmed and overflowing when we think about the truth of the gospel, the truth that we've read, the truth that we have lifted up in song, the truth, Lord, that we see contained in this catechism question and answer. Lord, we are grateful that we are a part of your body. We recognize it is a work of your grace, Lord, that you have called us unto yourself and given us eternal life. Lord, you have justified us. We have now the righteousness of Christ, which he has secured by a perfect life. Oh, God, how we thank you and praise you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that always value the church, your body, that we would recognize you as our head, Lord, that we would submit unto you, Father, that we would seek to serve one another within the body of Christ, that we would seek to promote unity among the greater body of Christ. Father, might you as our head always be that central person that draws us together. Lord, help us in honor to prefer one another. Help us to encourage one another, to pray for one another. Father, to lift up each other I pray, O oh God, that we would be a church that, that manifests the working of the Holy Spirit in our midst. I pray, Lord, for the preaching of the word today. I pray for the continued singing of these great songs that have been written to honor you. I pray, Lord, as the scriptures are read, that you would give our minds the ability to listen well, to take it into our hearts. Lord, I once again would pray that you would press the truth of the gospel deep in our souls, that we might see you, our great God. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing.
Yeah. 
now please lend your attention to the reading of God's holy word. A reading from the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps the word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. A reading from Paul's first epistle to Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand.
team and good morning Randolph Street family it is so good to be with you on this Lord's Day uh, so grateful to echo Tim's words a few moments ago sounds like I'm literally echoing Tim's words here uh, how you sing those four songs we just finished singing contain so much glorious truth you, you could just sit on those four songs and read line after line after line and have your faith strengthened this morning in this most holy faith. Uh, so grateful for these men and women who were behind me just a moment ago who led us and for your engagement week in and week out. Typically what happens in this moment of our liturgy is I read the sermon text and pray for illumination. Week in and week out, that's what we do at Randolph Street. We're going to do something a little different for the coming months as we step into the book of Acts. We're going to pray for our neighborhood neighborhoods and for the nations we're, we're going to kind of embrace the vision of acts and to make sure we as a church are praying properly uh, for those around us and uh, for the gospel to advance uh, throughout not only our neighborhoods uh, but to the nations and so for these next number of months we will corporately join together week in and week out in praying for specific needs that exist within our city nation and to the nations. Today, we're going to pray for two specific areas, if you will. Uh, one, I had to get a little geography lesson from Denny upstairs a little while ago. Uh, we're going to pray for those states that are being affected right now uh, by this massive hurricane that's rolling onto our shores. So uh, Florida and Alabama and Mississippi and uh, missing one. Denny, you didn't do a good job. Say it again. Louisiana, the, the primary one, okay, the primary one. We're, we're going to pray for those four states. Um, and in that, we're going to pray for God's protection upon those who are there. We're going to pray for the church's response in the midst of suffering and tragedy. And we're going to pray for spiritual reality to press in on those who are directly affected, even by us who are indirectly affected by this, that spiritual realities would, would press into hearts during these moments. We're going to secondly pray for Afghanistan this morning. I would really encourage you to go to websites that help you think through countries like this. JoshuaProject.net is an excellent website. They have a mobile app likewise that can help you see Afghanistan from a gospel perspective. Uh, they, they give you an understanding of the landscape of Afghanistan, percentages of people groups that have been reached with the gospel. When you read joshuaproject.net on this particular country, it's overwhelming how dark this particular country is when it comes to the gospel. We're going to pray this morning for the church in Afghanistan, for missionaries in Afghanistan, those who are maybe in surrounding countries reaching into that country on this Lord's Day. We're going to pray for wisdom. We're going to pray, pray for spiritual provision. And we're going to pray for the gospel to advance. Tied to this, I'm going to pray for uh, the families of the military members that we lost as a country this week. So join with me as we pray together. Well, Father, for these last 20 minutes or so, we have had truth 
is pressed up onto our hearts. And we are so grateful that every Lord's Day we gather in this sacred space and we sing truths like we have just rehearsed. Spirit of God, would you be pleased this morning to take that truth and to weave it into our very lives, minds, hearts, affections, that our lives may be built on that truth. God, do that work us in us today. As we look around our world, we see suffering and tragedy, chaos. Today, we bring two specific prayer requests to you, Father. As we look at these four states and other states surrounding them that will be affected, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, by this devastating hurricane. One, we, just, we trust in you, Father. Nothing is outside of your purpose. As we rest there in your sovereign, wise purposes and counsel. We pray for those who live in these areas that will be directly affected even now as we gather. Lord, that you would grant protection and safety. Father, that you would allow this moment to be captured in thousands upon thousands of hearts, of spiritual realities, of the fragility of life, the certainty of death, the answer of Christ. Lord, would those truths be pressed upon the hearts of thousands and thousands and millions of people in these hours and moments. We pray for the church in these states that you would equip them and gift them to respond well to suffering and to advance the gospel in these hours, to meet needs that exist, to show and demonstrate the love of Christ. God, equip and empower them to that end. We pray today for Afghanistan. This past week, we have watched incredible suffering. Lord, we pray for your people there, that as they carry forth the light of the gospel, that you would protect them, strengthen them, gift them, preserve their faith, Father, in the midst of known trials and persecution. God, embolden them with the gospel only as you can do. Father, relieve the suffering of what we are seeing on our television screens and hearing reports of. Lord, grant mercy to thousands and thousands of families and lives. Show the hope of Christ in this dark, dark place. And Father, I do pray for our military families today as they experienced just tragic loss this past week. Lord, that you would minister to them uniquely in these hours. Those who served for the sake of others. Lord, would you minister to their families and draw their hearts to the hope that was only found in Christ for the hundreds of families that are suffering right now surrounding that airport. Lord, would you let the light of the gospel penetrate those hearts. Lord, we love you. 
Thank you for the privilege we have here, gathering freely, lifting up our voices. May the cause of Christ ever be the heartbeat of Randolph Street. We pray this in his name. Amen.
Thank you, Kathy, for ministering to us a phenomenal song, hopefully to set our hearts right as we open God's Word this morning. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and while you are turning, just a brief announcement to follow up on some things Tim said at the very beginning during the announcements. Um, Our elders, we continue to, to monitor what's happening within our community regarding Uh, COVID and all those things. Uh, This past week, I talked uh, with a couple of individuals that have have churches that have been deeply affected these last couple of of, uh, weeks, and uh, we're going to keep monitoring things as we did uh, this past year. We try to balance being the church and being what God has called us to be and doing what God has called us to do of being wise and careful. Our elders recognize we bear a responsibility for our church as leaders, and our goal is to seek to lead you with wisdom that only God can provide and hopefully lead you in a manner that you recognize you are loved. Uh, You're loved by us, you're prayed for by us, and more importantly, most importantly, you're loved by God. On the back table, if you're interested... Uh, is a little paper that I wrote the last few weeks that our elders and deacons have worked through together, uh, line by line, thinking through uh, just how we respond to government in seasons like this. And uh, so we have put together a paper for you to read if you, again, would like to pursue that. There's about 50 or 60 copies located on the back table. We ask you to take one per family. That would be most helpful to us. But just to think through how we as a church are called to submit to governing authorities and why we do so and uh, what that should look like and where the limits are in relationship to government and the church. And so we've put together that paper just to help you understand decisions we've made in the past, Lord willing, decisions we don't have to make in the future. Uh, but as we kind of navigate these unusual waters. So uh, grab that paper. Again, it's on the back table. It's right beside the free books, okay? Uh, Grab that book. There are sentences in that, but books are about sentences. You say, well, that's obvious. No, it's not obvious. Books are about sentences, sentences that kind of reach out and grab your soul. This book has those sentences in it. Grab it. And you will see and sense the love of Christ maybe in some ways you've never sensed it in any other book except the scriptures. So grab that book. It's totally free. As Tim said, if you've got a copy of it, grab it and give it to someone that, that you know is walking through difficult days. Uh, it's just at the end of the little blurb in the, in the uh, bulletin, it says it's a bomb for your soul. Oh, it is. It's just a bomb for the weary soul. So grab that. I can't promote any better than that, Okay. All right. I'm not going to read the text this morning. You've heard it read to you the last two Sundays. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Today, after two weeks of introduction, finally, we step now into the actual text of the book of Acts. Last Sunday, during the gathering, I was on the road somewhere in northern Kentucky between Cincinnati and here, listening to Tim's sermon, and man, my heart was absolutely overwhelmed and thrilled as I listened to him kind of walk us through the the advancement of the gospel, Jesus building his church. I trust 
you likewise were as affected, and if you have not listened to that sermon, and even the previous week's sermons, these two kind of foundational sermons to set up this, this study that we're now walking into, take time, go back, read, listen through those. You can grab those at our website. Soon you'll be able to grab those on our app, all right? And that'll be a nice little addition to our church ministry here. Soon you'll be able to grab those via our app. This past week, after listening to Tim's sermon, I went back and I was working on the preaching schedule for the next nine months or so. Our goal is, is to get through May. We're going to get through the first missionary journey. That's what we're tracking for, which means we won't get anywhere close to that, probably. But as I went back and kind of prepped out the preaching schedule, just struck anew of God's sovereign, glorious grace in transforming lives. I mean, just turning the world upside down through his word, by his sovereign spirit. And as you read through the book of Acts, there's, there's a lot of oddities, right? Moments of the working of the spirit. You kind of step back and you scratch your head and you think, what, what is that all about? And we're going we're gonna to come to those places and we're going to address those peculiar moments like Acts chapter 2 and see the work of the Spirit. But, but don't miss this overall big picture of what's happening in the book of Acts as Jesus builds his church through the sovereign work of the Spirit and let your heart be moved by the miraculous moments of God's grace in the life of sinners. Don't miss this. Don't read it like a typical history book where you are removed from it, right? This is your experience likewise. The Spirit of God transforming your heart, placing you in the kingdom of Christ for the glory of this triune God. Let your heart be moved as you walk through the book of Acts. Let me encourage you to read it, all right? It would be healthy for you and for me to read through the book of Acts many, many times over the next two years so that we become more and more familiar with this book. Here's the overall statement that I put before us two weeks ago, the theme of Acts, the purpose of Acts. Jesus, this is what Luke is presenting for us, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now he actively builds his church. Matthew 16, Ephesians 4. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now he actively builds his church. He does so by sending his Spirit. We're going to talk a lot about that in the coming weeks. Joel chapter 2, John 13 through 16. Jesus builds his church by sending his Spirit to equip and gift the church to spread the gospel to the nations. And it's kind of the overarching purpose theme that comes behind the book of Acts as we work through it in the coming months and years. Here's your outline for this morning. Four points. Acts chapter 1 through 11. First, Luke is going to set the table for us. You see this often in books of the Bible, themes that are stated right up front that now are going to capture the, the mind of the writer through the rest of the narrative or the rest of the epistle or the rest of the gospel. We talked about that in John and the, and the prologue, John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. How it just kind of sets the table. Well, Luke's going to do that for us here in the book of Acts. Luke is the author of Acts. He was a ministry partner of Paul. Two weeks ago, we worked through that. Now, Luke is going to set up everything that's going to happen in these initial verses. Number two, we're going to see an important connection that's between Jesus and his disciples. Three, we're going to see the promise of the Father. Here's where we'll spend most of the sermon this morning. 
And four, we're going to look at a Q&A with Jesus. Between the disciples and Jesus, I'm going to finish up this morning after that Q&A with Jesus by asking you two questions, okay? Which I would prefer you don't answer out loud, okay? So let's go back and start now. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's see how Luke sets the table for us here. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. In the first book, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, those are the first three verses of this little section. Go to the last three verses of this section, beginning at verse number 9. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what Luke does here at the very beginning of this book is something we often see in the New Testament. He's going to set up themes, if you will, that he's now going to trace through the remaining chapters of this historical narrative. Luke establishes for us, right at the very beginning of this book, the historical realities of Jesus' life, his teachings, his sufferings, his death, his resurrection, his sending of the Spirit, his commissioning, and ultimately his ascension. So those are the things now Luke's going to come up and just push them right onto the table, right at the very beginning of this book. So verse 3, he's focused on the sufferings of Christ. Verse 3, these 40 days in which Jesus is now going to teach his disciples. A special note we'll come back to in just a moment is the kingdom of God. In verses 4 and 5, he's going to speak of the work of the Spirit that is now going to come up on them. In verse 8, he's going to give the Great Commission. In verses 9 through 10, he's going to speak of the ascension. In verse 11, he's going to talk about the second coming of Christ. I mean, it is this full picture of all that Jesus accomplished among us, Luke now is going to come, he's going to shove all that to the table, and he's going to set the table for us for everything that is going to follow. Luke wants this before you, the reader, these historical realities of Jesus. I mean, we can't talk about the church, we can't talk about the, the acts of the apostles until we understand what we ground those acts up on. Those acts are grounded up on these historical realities of the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection, those 40 days, and the ascension. Everything we're going to read now is grounded up on these historical realities. Luke walks into this book, and he sees that no other way, this is history. Jesus lived. Jesus suffered and died. Jesus taught his disciples 40 days in between his resurrection and the ascension. He suffered, he died, he rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now he sends his spirit. The writer of Acts, Dr. Luke, sees those truths as just historical fact. 
And he's going to push all of that to the middle, and he's going to say, okay, now as a result of these historical realities, we're going to, we're going to step in and look at the church. So as you as a reader, what's important for you is to, is to let those truths kind of shape our minds now, right? And we're, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment. But let those truths shape our minds as we step into these 28 chapters of historical narrative that Luke is going to invite us into as readers to see the, the early history of the church. And remember, I think I heard Tim say this last week. If, if not, I was, I was preaching with him as I listened online, driving. This is your history. Now, this is, we're not reading something outside of us. This is our family history. We're stepping back into our history as the church. And on all of that, Luke grounds it on Christ and the gospel. Let's see this important connection, if you will, in these first few verses that Luke develops. If you look back at verses, at verse 2, he speaks about these things in verse 1 that Jesus was doing and teaching until the day he was taken up to heaven. And it says, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. He gives us a content of what he's teaching them. I mean, Luke, Luke is the only writer who really captures these 40 days in, in, in detail. I mean, Luke is the only writer who explicitly captures the ascension of Jesus in the gospel and in the book of Acts. But notice in verse number three, what Jesus was teaching them during these 40 days, he was speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, that idea of the kingdom of God is going to come back in this narrative in just a moment. But Jesus has 12 men at this moment. It's 11. Judas has been lost to divine purpose. Matthias, our text next week, will replace Judas. And soon Paul, as we get into this narrative, he's going to carry the designation likewise of an apostle. But Jesus chose these men, as he notes here in verse number two, these apostles that he had chosen. He chose these men for a unique role in the church. And in these 40 days, Jesus is going to invest in these men, especially. But even before that, he's going to particularly invest in these 40 men. He's going to set them on this eternally significant mission that they will embark upon. These men, the apostles, this is, this is the group of men this book is named after, history suggests. I mean, it has historically been called the Acts of the Apostles. What's a little odd is most of the apostles get their only shout-out in chapter 1. Only two apostles get the primary focus, that's Peter and Paul. But I think it is a recognition that these men bear a significant role, right? This connection between Jesus and this apostolic band of men that he sets forth for this unique and eternally significant mission. They now will carry forth the work of Christ through the power of the Spirit, and they will build the church. This is how they would see this. I mean, listen to Paul. This is Ephesians chapter 2. He writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's peoples and also members of his household. And then he writes this, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. So Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. He now will work out his ministry on earth through this group of men called apostles. They will bear this unique role, and as Paul recognizes in Ephesians chapter 2, they will lay the foundation of the church, Christ himself being the cornerstone. This is how Paul views the church. This is how Paul views the apostles. It's this significant relationship between Jesus and his apostles. So as we read the book of Acts, this is what we see playing out before our eyes. This is the foundation laying of the church. This unique period of history, this apostolic period in which the foundation of the new covenant community is going to be established and then built up on. And we can't miss that. Right at the very beginning of this book, Jesus has this unique connection to and assigns the significant mission to these 11, soon to be 12 again, and then you can do the math with Paul, this apostolic band of men. Now, what's important for us to throw a little bit of theology on the table is we recognize what Acts records is this apostolic era. It's unique, right? This apostolic era is unique as God forms and fashions this new covenant community it is what many scholars would say, and I would agree with them. It is, it is an unrepeatable moment of history in which God is going to establish the church, the new covenant community, in which he will bring together Jews and Gentiles. If you, if you read through the book of Acts already, you're going to see this. The, the writer is careful to note as the Jews are brought into the body of Christ. The Samaritans are brought into the body of Christ. The Gentiles are brought into the body of Christ. The, the writer here is going to pay careful attention to those realities, right? This formation of the new covenant community, this unique period of history. That's what Acts records for us. We could call it the apostolic era. It is what one writer says is a watershed moment from Acts 2 and moving forward through this particular historical narrative. It is a watershed moment. It is unique history. It is apostolic history. Now, keep that in mind. Just shove that to the back of your mind. I'm going to come back to that when we're talking about these unusual moments of the Spirit. Like in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 20. We're going to see some really unusual language regarding the Spirit and, and those who are being saved. And we're going to come back to this reality that this is a unique apostolic era where God is forming and founding the new covenant people, the church. It is this foundation-laying moment that we get to as readers invited into to see and to behold. These apostles carried a unique role. Now, let me come back to just what Jesus was teaching them in those 40 days. I find this interesting. 
I just referenced it as I was passing a moment ago. He taught them about the kingdom of God. So between the resurrection and the ascension, Luke notes for us there were 40 days that transpired. And in those 40 days, the primary thing that Jesus did with his disciples is he was teaching them about the kingdom of God, which is, which is really interesting. And that's going to come back in our narrative in just a moment. Number three, let's look at the promise of the Father here. Look at verse number four. It says, And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. There it is. There's, he's, he's drawing something out unique here. The promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so now Jesus is going to narrow this down a little bit, right? He's going to reference this idea of a promise of the Father. Right? He wants them to stay in Jerusalem, and the reason they're to stay in Jerusalem is because something is going to happen that is significant, namely, the promise of the Father is going to come to pass. It's interesting, Jesus, as he spends this time with his disciples, He's going to give them this command, you stay in Jerusalem. He's going to follow it up with a promise, and then he's going to speak of this new work that is going to be up on them, namely the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at the language he uses in verse number five. For John baptized with water, he calls them back to an historical moment, which in the mind of the disciples, that must have felt like so long ago. It was three and a half, four or so years maybe. He's reminding them of, of John baptizing. It must have felt like a lifetime for them. And then he says, but you, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is going to speak about the new work of the Spirit, this baptism of the Spirit. Now, now note what he says here again to come back to this. This is the promise of the Father. All right, in other words, this has been spoken of before. It's grounded in Old Testament scriptures. This reality of the coming of the Spirit's power upon the people of God. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see one of those Old Testament texts in Joel chapter 2. Let me throw out two to you to kind of help you understand what might have been echoing through the minds of the apostles when Jesus said, this is the promise of the Father. Isaiah 44 verse 3. I will pour water on, a thir on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. Here's the idea, right? That God, this is the promise of God. There's, there's coming a day when I'm going to pour my spirit. Something unusual is going to happen. I'm going to pour my spirit upon you, your descendants, upon your offspring. Ezekiel chapter 36. We looked at this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the new covenant in relationship to sacraments. Ezekiel records for us, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's, he's focusing here on this new work of the spirit of God that is going to come up on the people of God. Jesus, likewise, would speak of this before the cross. I, I pulled out three particular passages. 
This is John chapter 7. This is the Feast of Booze. If I remember correctly, this is the second full year of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's with his disciples. He's looking out toward his sufferings. He says to the crowds that gather that day on the last day of the feast, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this, John steps in and provides commentary. He said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him, in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, so halfway through his earthly ministry, Jesus began to speak of this reality, this, this promise of the father that the spirit is going to come. But the Spirit would not come until Jesus was glorified just days before the cross. Jesus would speak of this again in the upper room, John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you this idea there's a new work of the spirit that's coming jesus looks out and when i when i go to the father i'm going to ask him and he's going to send you a helper this promised spirit of truth luke records for us further language of this just prior to his ascension he says that jesus said it is written that the Christ should suffer and the third day rise again, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And that Jesus says to these disciples, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He speaks of his sufferings, the gospel call, repentance for forgiveness of sins. And then he says to his disciples, I'm going to send the promise of my father to you. You stay in the city and I will clothe you with power from on high. This new work of the spirit. If you look back at verse number five in Acts one, Jesus calls this baptism. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And to go back to John the Baptist here, he illustrates the work of the Spirit by calling their minds back to John the Baptist. So John baptized, right? And we as Baptists know how John baptized. He immersed, right, in water. Jesus picks up on that idea. John baptized. Many people would come to John as baptism for repentance. And now Jesus uses that and he says, hey, John immersed the Jewish people in water. John, while baptizing, would point to this very moment. This is Luke chapter 3. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's anticipation here, right? I'm baptizing you with water, but there's one who is coming, speaking of Jesus, and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So what's the point here? Well, I think what Jesus is saying here in Acts chapter 1, as John plunged some into water, Jesus will now immerse you in the Spirit. 
He will plunge you into the Spirit. This baptism of the Spirit that Jesus speaks of indicates a new era that is now coming up on the disciples and the church, this new reality, full and glorious work of the Spirit of God in and among the people of God. For Jesus, he looks at his disciples here in verse number five when he speaks to them, John baptized you with water, but now, not many days from now, looking forward to Pentecost, not many days from now, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to immerse you in the Spirit. Right now we live in this age of the Spirit, the era of the Spirit and his work. Vern Poitras writes this about this language of Jesus. He says, God poured out the Spirit in fullness upon the church. This is, this is what Jesus is capturing. In contrast to the not-so-full and not-so-universal work of the Spirit in the Old Testament times, in this sense, under the Old Testament dispensation, the Spirit may be said to be with the disciples. We just read that text in John 14. As we have seen, even to fill his disciples on occasion... But on the day of Pentecost, he was given to fill Christians continually. He has been given to the church, and he has been given to all believers. This new moment, this new reality, this people of the Spirit. So now as we move forward in the book of Acts, we see the work of the Spirit. I have a habit of listening to sermons, especially when I'm mowing grass can pass the time thinking on better things than grass and how many pastors in their introduction of the book of acts would say this is not the acts of the apostles what luke records for us is the acts of the spirit this is this is what jesus is laying up on the people now right so everything as we move forward now is going to be wor the work of the spirit in varied ways the Spirit of God is going to powerfully work in the church. He's going to form the church. He's going to take Jew and Samaritan and Gentile, and he's going to incorporate them together into a new covenant community. This is what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 12 about, about the baptism of the Spirit, and that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. Jew and Gentile brought together, incorporated together into one body by the Spirit of God. I mean, just this amazing moment we are getting ready to look up on in history of Jew and Gentile brought together into one body by the preaching of the gospel and by the work of the Spirit. But the Spirit of God does not stop there. The Spirit equips and the Spirit gifts and the Spirit empowers and the Spirit fills the church to accomplish its purpose in the church and in the world. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, John may have baptized with water, but now I'm coming and I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father and I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And now here we are, brought together into one body, Jew and Gentile, equipped and gifted and empowered by the same Spirit of God to fulfill the mission of Christ in this world. This is, this is where the book of Acts becomes so important to us because it, it, it brings us right into the story now. 
This baptism of the Spirit is what you experience today when you come to faith in Christ. He places you in the body of Christ, and he works in you to accomplish his purposes. And what's the purpose of the Spirit? We need to get this on the table right at the beginning of the book of Acts. Because there's a lot of really poor teaching and practice, in especially the American church. What is the purpose of the Spirit of God in you today? Well, Jesus is going to make that clear. John chapter 16, listen to this text, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he's looking forward. The Spirit of truth is going to come. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will, hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then listen to what Jesus says. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So now we're really getting into the book of Acts, right? Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. He sends the Spirit to build the church, to incorporate Jew and Gentile into the body of Christ, to equip and to gift and empower. Why is the Spirit at work? To glorify Jesus, the head of the church. I mean, this is the beauty of what we see right here at the very beginning of this particular book. The Spirit is sent, the Spirit works, and why does the Spirit work? He works, Jesus said, to glorify me. Now, notice the immediate text. Look at verse number 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Right, so he's looking out. I think he's looking forward to Acts 2 here. Okay, when this, when this baptism of the Holy Spirit happens, as a part of that or a byproduct of that, they will receive power, these apostles. And notice why they receive this power, to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I was reading this past week of some Christians in Afghanistan praying for this reality in their lives, that the Spirit of God would empower them in this moment of pending certain persecution to be witnesses of Christ. And Luke's going to take this now and he's going to trace it. The work of the Spirit. And we're going to turn the page into Acts 2 and we're going to see thousands come to faith in Christ. How? By the work of the Spirit. Through the preaching of the gospel. And he's going to move us in to the realities that flow out of Acts chapter 2, like Acts chapter 8 when the Samaritans come to faith in Christ, or Acts chapter 10 when the Gentiles come to faith in Christ, or in odd places like Acts chapter 20 when John the Baptist's disciples come to faith in Christ. And he, he's tracing for us this work of the Spirit, glorifying Jesus by building the church. That's what you're reading when you read through Acts. This is the age of the Spirit, the era of the Spirit, as he glorifies Christ. And let's wrap up this morning. A little Q&A with Jesus, verses 6 through 8. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus replies, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then the text we just read, you will receive power. And the Holy Spirit has come upon you where you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. 
So the disciples ask this question in this moment. Jesus has lived among them three and a half plus years. He's ministered to them for 40 plus days after the resurrection. He has spoken about the kingdom of God. And now he speaks about this last day's work of the spirit. The disciples have what I think is the obvious question. Is now the time? Is this it? I think this is the obvious question because of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God. I think it's the obvious question because this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which in the Old Testament is connected to these last days, this felt like, in the disciples' mind, this felt like a climactic moment. So the obvious question that would come out of this moment, are you going to restore the kingdom of God now? Now, notice what Jesus says in his response. He doesn't rebuke them. He does sharpen their understanding of the the divine plan of God and the kingdom of God. He says to them, it's not for them to know the times of the sea. I don't think that's a rebuke. It's just not time for them to understand that and know when that may occur. But notice what he does here. He moves their mind from the final consummation of the kingdom to the present time, which is the building of the kingdom, verse number 8. Now is not the time for the finality of all things. Now is the time when the Spirit of God is going to form in the people a witness of the gospel. And through these apostles, Jesus now is going to build his kingdom. This is the mission of the kingdom. It's going to be built, and it's going to be built as these disciples bear witness of the gospel in Jerusalem, throughout all Judea, into Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Now is not the time for the final consummation of all things. That time is coming. Now is the time to build the kingdom. How is the kingdom built? Through the preaching of the gospel by the power of the Spirit. That is how the kingdom of God is built. Church, we have to hear that and know that and embrace that reality. The kingdom of God is not built by earthly institutions or political movements. The kingdom of God is not built by powerful monarchs or authoritative armies. The kingdom of God is built by weak men and women who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit of God. That is how Christ builds his kingdom. I mean, this is, this is what Jesus wants their attention up on. It's not wrong to have an eye toward the end. Right, and listen, Jesus is not going to leave them hanging on that. All right, if you let your, well, it's not Jesus, it's, it's, the, it's the angels, if that's what they are. Right, the two men dressed in white robes in verse 11. As the disciples are looking up on Jesus to send to heaven, he says to them, these men say to him, hey, same, he'll, he'll come. As you see him ascend, he will descend in the same manner. So, so they've got their eye out there to the final consummation. Right? And in a way that answered Jesus's or the apostles' questions, is now the time of the kingdom? No, no, that, that time will come. It will come when Jesus returns. But right now, he moves them from the consummation of the kingdom toward the mission of the kingdom. They are called. This is the foundation of which we stand up on, church. They are called by the power of the Spirit to be witnesses of Christ to the end of the earth. And the Spirit of God is going to use that. He's going to work in that, and he's going to form a body, 
a people for himself out of all tribes and all tongues and all nations. That is the building of the kingdom of God. Brian Vickers, I didn't know this until Thursday, wrote a commentary on the book of Acts. So I've been pe pestering him with question after question after question. You're going to have to pay Brian Vickers eventually. Um, just asking him questions about Acts. And then he finally said to me, I know a good commentary written on Acts. And I, I got a clue and ordered it and by the common grace of Amazon had it the next day. He writes this about the kingdom. The kingdom features a leader who suffered and who preaches nonviolence and self-deprecation. <laughs> You let that set on you. This is the leader of the kingdom. Nonviolence, self-deprecation. That, that's how the kingdom's going to be built. Urging his followers to give up the right to their own lives and live instead for his sake and for that of others. This is what the king of that kingdom urges you toward. He says the kingdom is initially led by a group of his followers who for the most part do not come from high income or particularly educated families. The one who does have personal or educational pedigree, Paul, is apparently less than impressive when in person. Yes, if the beginnings of this kingdom appear insignificant, this is nothing compared to the unimaginable power. The king rises from the dead, ascends to the throne, sends his power into the lives of his followers and enables and emboldens them to speak openly of him and to offer free entry into his eternal kingdom. Those who believe the message enter the kingdom that will one day be revealed as uncontainable in time and space when that king returns. I mean, this is, this is the call that's up on our lives. The king of this kingdom, he builds it and he does so through his church as the spirit of God works in and among us. And he will do that until he brings a final consummation of all things when, as Brian said, when that king returns. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has poured out his spirit up on the church and he emboldens and empowers the church now to be witnesses of the gospel through that spirit for the glory of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Right now, Randolph Street is involved in the most important work in the world. You. There is no higher calling than for Christ's people by the power of the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus. There's no higher calling for you. Let me ask you two questions to end our morning just quickly. I don't know why these two questions came to my mind, but they did. Number one, do you believe this? This isn't historical fantasy. This is real history. Do you believe this, and do you see your life in light of these truths? Pastor Tim and I were praying together this morning, and as soon as he said amen, I got up and went to my office and wrote down what he said. He asked God to allow these simple fundamental truths to change and transform our lives today. 
Do you believe this? That Jesus suffered and died? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, spent 40 days with his apostles, appeared among many, among many people, over 500, Paul records in 1 Corinthians? Do you believe that he spent that time with the apostles, teaching them about the kingdom of God? Do you believe that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father? Do you believe that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, as he said he would, from, as a promise from the Father, to baptize his people, to bring them together into this body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, all the nations brought together, incorporated into one body. Do you believe that he is doing that work through his spirit in our day by the preaching of the gospel? Do you believe that? If you do, that should shape your entire life. What you think about when you rise, what's on your heart when you go to bed. Right now, there are faithful men and women in Afghanistan who believe this truth. And before the end of this coming week, they may be one of the martyrs in heaven crying out, how long, O Lord? But they live their lives and they give so freely of their lives because they believe this truth. Randolph Street, May this truth lay hold of our hearts. May it shape and form us to be a church that is witnesses of Christ here and to the nations. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for giving us this record of our beginning as the church. Thank you for these words that Jesus sets before us today, the promise of you, his Father. And now the work of your Holy Spirit. I would pray for our church family today that as we think of these truths, as they settle into our hearts, we would see ourselves as being a part of this work of the Spirit. We would recognize that through your grace, faith, we have been incorporated into the body of Christ with brothers and sisters throughout history and from around the globe. This unified glorious body of Christ and that you have sent your spirit and he now works in and through us oh God let us hear that and believe that truth and may our response be like that of the disciples and the early church proclaiming Christ even in the midst of persecution and suffering, not losing sight of the mission that you have called us to as a body to preach the gospel. So Lord, let, let Acts be helpful to our church family in the coming months and years, reminding us of our mission, reminding us of your work and your promise. And Lord, we with the disciples, we long for 
the full consummation of all things. Just what the angels said. We look and we long for Jesus to return just as he ascended. So Lord, build that hope within us. Help us as a church to be faithful as we seek to serve you and your kingdom here upon this earth. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand if you would. Randy and worship team for leading us this morning for our benediction prior to singing our doxology to end our morning, Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8. Such rich language for us today, the people of God. 
The writer of Holy Scripture records for us these words. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And the people of God respond, amen. Praise God, Christ. 